Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you today. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church. Uh, if you are new here, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. Uh, and would encourage you to get to know folks and uh, stop by our guest services table uh, if you'd like more information. Um, it's always a joy to gather together as God's people, with God's people, around um, uh, a time of worshiping the Lord together, a time of, of learning through the scriptures uh, by God's word. So uh, we've been going through a series this summer called Are You Serious? And we've been looking at various facets of the Christian faith uh, and taking kind of the personal and community inventory about are we serious about the faith? Are we serious about the Bible? Uh, different aspects of the Christian life uh, to kind of check ourselves uh, to see where we are. Today we're looking at the question, are you serious about the mission of discipleship. Uh, so as we look at God's word today, I'd like to pray. We'll be in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 28 as well as Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, if you want to turn there. Um, but let me pray as we get started. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. God, a time to gather as your people with your people to worship you through singing, through prayer, through fellowship, through communion. God, through baptism, through, uh, through worshiping together being together, celebrating who you are and what you've done for us. And God, now I pray that you would speak by your spirit, through your scriptures, through your word. God, that you would open our minds to understand. You would open our hearts to rejoice with the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. God, the freedom and joy that gives. So Lord, I pray that you would do this in his name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 28. What we know is the Great Commission says this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this is God's word from the mouth of Jesus himself. We see that Jesus sends his disciples with the good news of freedom and forgiveness. Jesus sends his disciples with the mission to go and make disciples. To be a disciple means you are partnering with the Lord in his mission to restore and renew all things. So what comes to mind when I say the word disciple? I mean, it's kind of a loaded word, a loaded question. Perhaps what comes to mind when I say the word disciple? I'm uh, reminded of a friend of mine from high school, a musician who was uh, very much in love with the band Fish. You may be familiar with the band, good music, very talented musicians. And my friend in high school was so in love with this band that anytime they played anywhere remotely near Georgia. He would drive there, fly there, hitch a ride, ride his bike. He, he followed this band everywhere. In fact, after high school, he, uh, he postponed going to college because he went on tour with the band. He uh, sold everything, quit his job, put stuff in storage that he had and, or at his parents' house. and just hit the road for over a year. We're just driving around. And uh, I remember running into him a couple years later in college, and he bragged about how in 365 days' time he saw the band Fish perform more than 365 times. I don't know how that's possible to see a band perform more than there are days in the year, but he somehow did it. It's remarkable. And the thing about my friend is he, he loved their music so much, he started wearing the shirts, he started burning CDs, he started a band and covered a lot of the music because he was so much uh, in, in tune with the mission of the band Fish that he started taking on the characteristics of what we call fish heads, right? He loved the band Fish. 
And he started propagating the music, playing the music, wearing the clothes. And when I think of that guy, that's the picture I see of discipleship. Because by definition, the word disciple means to be a follower who becomes more like who he follows. So a disciple is somebody that follows someone and by following that person becomes more like the person they follow. So for my buddy, the fish head became more like fish. So what is it for you? If you are a disciple of someone or something, well, what is it that you follow or who is it that you follow? Because you can't follow something uh, in, in a benign way. As you follow somebody, you start to take on their traits. What is it for you? Maybe you're here today and you were a student and you're starting to take on the traits of the studies that you have. Maybe you're in medical school. Maybe you're in the military. Maybe you were uh, studying for some sort of trade and craft. And as you were learning this skill, you start to take on maybe the personality of your teacher or maybe the personality of your fellow students. You can complete each other's sentences. You get paid for that in Portland, you know. Maybe you were following a philosophy or tradition. Maybe you were following even something good like a self-help or self-improvement model as a disciple of that methodology, hoping that that will change you and grow you. Now, friends, to be a disciple is nothing new. In fact, there's nothing wrong with it. The problem is we find our identity somewhere else other than who we were created to follow and become like. You see, Scripture teaches us in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, that God created everything out of nothing. He creates everything for his glory. He creates the first man and first woman to be image bearers, to reflect who he is and what he's done. You see, the very first man and first woman were created to be disciples. Scripture tells us that they walked with God in a garden. But then you know the story in Genesis chapter 3, what we know is the fall. There's a broken relationship between God and man. There's a broken relationship between man and woman and mankind with each other that has rippled throughout history ever since. Because rather than remembering who we are and who we are created to be and who we're created to follow, we start following other things. We follow sin. We follow ideologies. We follow things that, would, that we think would bring us self-fulfillment. But you see, Scripture reminds us that God does not abandon us in our brokenness, but God intervenes. God steps into human history to rescue his wayward children. God steps into human history to rescue his wayward bride, as it were. We see that all of Scripture tells us stories of God bringing redemption and freedom through the prophets proclaiming good news of a rescuer, through miracles, through the book of Exodus. You see that God frees his people physically from bondage in Egypt, and as he is setting them free and leading them to a promised land, very physically, very literally, he's saying, this is what I'm doing for all of my people for all eternity. And one day one will come who will rescue everyone. See, when we get to the New Testament, and we see that Jesus himself is fulfilling this long expectation of God rescuing everyone, restoring all things. Jesus lives his life on earth, lives a perfect life, doing teaching and miracles, talking about the kingdom of God coming in full fruition. He dies a death on a cross, three days later rises again. And as he appears to his disciples in resurrected form, they come alongside of him and they worship him, eagerly expecting, okay, what's next? We know the story that 
mankind is broken and, and we follow other things and other people and we are changing and becoming like who we're not supposed to be, but then Jesus comes to rescue us, what's next? And then we see what we know is the Great Commission when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The apostles do this. If you know the story, you see that the apostles are sent out with the power of Christ himself to go make disciples of all nations. They start going all over to the known parts of the world. They start planting churches and gathering people and preaching the gospel. You get to the book of Acts and you see this wonderful story in chapter 2 of the book of Acts when Simon Peter stands up and preaches this amazing gospel preaches this amazing sermon connecting the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament saying all of your expectations of rescue from God happens in Jesus. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your hero. If you want a right relationship with God, you've got to come through Jesus. If you want a right relationship with each other, you've got to come through Jesus. And as Peter ends his wonderful sermon in chapter 2, he says this statement, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we see the good news of the gospel. That God is gathering people from every corner of the earth from all races, all cultures, and all times, that God is calling people to himself, and that in Christ we can repent and be baptized in his name. Our sins will be forgiven. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is good for you and I today. And this is good news for us. What we see is the promise of God to call along people to follow him is the nature of discipleship. To be a true Christian disciple means that God is calling you and you follow him. As you follow the Lord, you become more like him. You start to love what the Lord loves. You start to value what the Lord values. You start to serve in ways that Christ himself served. You are transformed. We are transformed together as a community of disciples who start taking on the traits, not that we are divine by any means, but we start exhibiting the characteristics as best as humanly possible by the Holy Spirit of who the Lord is and what he's done. Joy, hope, faith, humility, kindness, gentleness, patience, love, these things. That's what it means to be a disciple. But also to be a disciple is one who makes disciples, right? Because if the whole theme of Scripture is God calling people, rescuing people to shape them to be more like Him, and we see that Jesus comes to do that for us, and His final words in in human form on earth to His disciples are, go and make disciples. If you were a disciple of Jesus, you will participate in making disciples. Because a disciple makes a disciple who will make disciples who make disciples. Or as we often say here at Redemption Church, we want to be a church who are leading people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus, who lead people to Jesus. You with me? 
Anybody need a cup of coffee? All right. So for us today, I want to break it down this way. I want us to ask ourselves this question. Are you serious about the mission of discipleship? Right? If we are serious about who the Lord is and what he's done for us, if we are excited and serious about what it means to be a disciple, if we take seriously the fact that Jesus is calling us and gathering us to follow him, and as we follow Jesus, we become more like him, that means we partner with the mission that he himself has done and has told us to do, to go and make disciples. So if you are serious about discipleship, you will be serious about the mission of discipleship. And that's what we're going to break down today in four ways. For us today, how do we live as disciples who are making disciples? Because if you're a big fan of a band, you're going to tell people about the band. If you're a big fan of Jesus who saves you and is changing you, you're going to tell others about him. Right? So here's how we're going to break it down today. We see in Matthew 28 the great commission of Jesus himself saying, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises his presence with you as a disciple as he commissions you to go and make disciples. Right? When we look at this statement, the word make disciples is the one imperative statement in the Great Commission. Often you can look at it and think, hey, Jesus says, go, I'm out of here. No? Jesus says, make disciples. And here's how, as you go. Really, the Greek word that was written there in the original manuscript of the New Testament really means as you go about life, make disciples. It's not something you drop everything for and go do necessarily, although sometimes that may be the case. What more often is the case is as you go about life, as you live just that, from now on, just, your life should be just one huge pattern of disciple-making. As a single person in college, as a married person, and when you have kids, and when you're a grandparent, and when you're retired in the golfing community. That's it. Every step of life, you are just going to make disciples, man. Why? Because disciples make disciples who make disciples. Because to follow Jesus means to partner with the mission he's given us to do. So, when we think about that, as you go, the ongoing rhythm of life, which may be different for you than it is for me, We have different jobs, we're at different ages, we're different genders, we're from different backgrounds, we have different influences in the city. As you go about your life, make disciples. So what does that look like for you and I today? What does it mean to reflect the character of God as a disciple and to partner as making disciples? I mean, I want to be serious about the mission of discipleship. I don't know about you. Jesus saved me. I want to tell everybody about Jesus and I want to help others come alongside and follow the Lord so we can be transformed together for joy and for for bringing restoration to a broken world. I want in on that, don't you? I'm serious about it. Come with me. We see that this is not something new. We see that Jesus' command to make disciples as you go about life is actually something very old school. So I want you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because this is important. Often, there's actually a book out now by this guy. I want to read it, but there's a book out that just came out. It's kind of controversial about a, a guy trying to write about Jesus from a historical perspective just as a political zealot, right? Jesus is not just some political zealot. He is the incarnate word of God. He is God himself. He is coming to be the rescuer, the only rescuer for us. And we see so, so often people think Jesus is just some new guy, some new guru, some new teacher. 
saying, hey, go make disciples. Actually, Jesus' command to make disciples is, is old school, back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Look at this with me. Hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, Moses met with the Lord on Mount Sinai, was given God's law, was given instruction from God himself to give to God's people. This is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I mean, I love this scripture here. Jesus himself quotes this when people ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus himself cites this. I mean, Jesus says, this is it. You love the Lord your God. You love others, right? So we see... In the Old Testament, when, when Jesus in the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, he is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. And so this is, this is packaged within that statement of making disciples. Right? Make disciples. Well, how? This would come to mind. I mean, if you're a first century Jewish guy and you're seeing Jesus and hearing Jesus and Jesus says, make disciples, you'd be like, well, what does that mean? And this would be part of it. Look what... Scripture tells us. Scripture breaks it down this way. I mean, as you go about life to make disciples, what are some rhythms of life? There are four that I see here that I want to share with you very quickly. The first uh, well, is this, is personal, family, community, and culture. That's kind of the breakdown of Scripture here. I mean, as you go about making disciples, here are kind of the four ways that the Old Testament busted out for us. Personal, fam- family, community, and culture. Personally, look at this. In verses 4 through 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I commanded you today shall be on your heart. All right, this is, this is a command given to a community of people, to a gathered people, to a plurality of people, but people are made up of individuals. We are individuals gathered together. And so if we look at this and say, right, you shall love, that's just not some ethereal, well, I hope that group of people over there does. I mean, have you ever felt that way even about church? You're just like, well, I wish that church would get it together. Maybe you felt that way about this church. I mean, I wish this church would. Well, you're part of this church. (laughs) We see very much in the same way that Scripture says, hey, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, us community together, but there is personal aspects to discipleship here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, right? With all your soul, with all your might. These words I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. So I want us to check ourselves when we think about discipleship. Are you serious about the mission of discipleship? First and foremost, are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your soul? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your might, with all your strength? I mean, who or what has your greatest affection? It might be your career. It might be the things you have. It might be the place you live. 
It might be the whatever. Who or what has your greatest affection? Scripture says to be serious about discipleship, to be serious about being a disciple who makes disciples, to be serious about the mission of of following Jesus together and calling others to follow Jesus so that we can become more like him means we first and foremost start with God himself. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we start with our personal affections. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. How is that for you? Who has your affection? Who has your attention? First and foremost, we see the life rhythm of being a participant in the mission of discipleship means first and foremost, we take personal inventory of ourselves, our personal role, our personal involvement. What does that look like for you? And may you answer honestly before the Lord. Secondly, we see first is, is personal. Secondly, we see family. My family's awesome. I have a family. I'm so thankful for my family. All right, we see family. Even here in Scripture says, um, he says, you shall teach them. I'm mean, talking about the, the law of God, the instruction of the Lord. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. What I love about this is it, it's almost, I mean, this is like the word of God, so there's some seriousness to it. But it sounds so casual to me, doesn't it, to you? I mean, it, God's like, hey, you shall teach these things to your children as you walk, as you rise, as you, as you just kind of go about life. I love that. There, there are moments, if you are a parent, you know there are moments you have with your children when they will ask you a question just out of the blue. You'll be like late. You're like, man, we've got to get there. We've got to get somewhere. We're in a hurry. Man, we've got to stop by Lowe's and pick up these wood screws for the thing. And like you're rushing and trying, and you're, that's when your kid just wants to have a divine conversation, right? Like you're late. For, the worst is when you're late for church. Right, if you were late for church, all of a sudden your kids just want to get all spiritual. I mean, that's, that's an act of God. Be late for church if you're discipling your children or sharing the gospel with somebody at the donut shop. Hmm? But if you're listening to Megadeth and you're just being lazy, shame on you. I'm just kidding. Tough crowd. <laughs> Scripture says we are to share the good news with our family, with our kids. Teach them as you go about life. When you're going to the family Y to go swimming, when you're going to get new socks at Target because the dryer ate another one. That's when you talk to your kids about the gospel, the good news of who God is and what he's done. When you lie down, when you go to bed at night, I mean, it's the last thing your kids hear from you should be something about the love of God. You can say, I love you. You can pray over your children. Some of of the sweetest, I mean, I think sometimes our kids do it because they want to stall bedtime because that's when it's like, hey, it's 10 o'clock or you're late. We got to get in bed. Hey, dad, can you tell me more about how Jesus has saved me from my sins? I'm like, now? Of course. As you rise, when you first get up in the morning and you're pouring the cereal and the kids are like, you want to like thank God for the cereal, thank God for the milk, tell them more about the goodness of God. You see, family structure is a gift from God. It's a, it's a structure that's under assault from multiple fronts in our culture today, seeking to obliterate family structure. Family is a gift from God. Parents, if you're here and you have children, they are a gift to you from the Lord. Kids, your parents are a gift to you grandparents you were a gift 
family structure is a gift from God, and we see this family as metaphors throughout Scripture. I mean, you see that in the Old Testament, God's people was considered a bride, and, and, and God himself was a groom coming to rescue them. There's other instances where God says, I'm a father to my children. In the New Testament, we see that the church is a bride and Christ Jesus is a groom and and that Christians together, we are brothers and sisters in Christ together. It's not only symbolic of God's work, but it's it's the means of discipleship. Family together is is the means by which we grow together in Christ to be more like him. I mean, Christianity is never meant to be a solo sport. And if you're here and you're thinking, I'm not married, none of my family lives in town, we're your family. I'm a brother to you. You're a sister to me, whatever it may be. We see again in the New Testament, Ephesians 4 talks about the body of Christ. Ephesians 5 speaks of the church being a family, like marriage and and family together. The books of Titus and 1 Timothy speak of leaders in the church, but but her family is is listed as one of the most primary uh, qualifications for a leader. If you're a leader in the church, I mean, one of the first things Scripture says is, hey, if you're going to lead a church, you better be loving your wife well. Men, if you want to be a leader in the church, you better be serving your children well with the gospel. Hmm? There's a reason for that. Even Colossians chapter 3 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. That's what I love about it. Men, as you serve your wives, fathers, as you serve your children, children, as you follow your family, as you follow your parents, as they seek to to lead well toward the Lord, you are serving the Lord. You are honoring Jesus, and that is good news. So family, church family, I want to ask you this as we think, are we serious about discipleship? Are we serious about the mission of being disciples and making disciples? Are we serious about calling alongside each other and and following Jesus together, becoming more like him? Are we serious about that? I want us to kind of take inventory. I mean, first, we, we look at our own hearts personally, but secondly, check what your role is in family. I mean, just just think about that's your primary discipleship opportunity. If you are married men, your number one role is is to serve your wives and to lead and love your wives. That's it. Don't forsake your bride for for some mission. Don't forsake your bride for some religious church thing that, that maybe gets more attention. Man, love and serve your wives well, men. That is your primary role as a follower of the Lord. And then serves your children. All right? Wives, same way. There are, there are ways that you relate to your husband that is your primary role. There are ways that you relate to your children that is your primary role of discipleship. That's what Scripture says here. There's a reason why it's in this order. Personal and family. So think about the role in which you serve. Thirdly, we'll look at this. Community. You see, discipleship is personal. Discipleship is about family. But discipleship is also a community event. It's something that takes place beyond just you and your relatives, right? Look what happens in verse 9 in Deuteronomy. Speaking of the good news of the Lord, it says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, there's a reason why it says, you know, teach these things to your children. Like, you know, check your heart, teach these things to your children, and write them on the doorposts of your house. I mean, you see, you're kind of starting at the inside of your house, 
with yourself and then your family kind of at the dinner table. And then as you step out to the outside of your house, the doorpost, you, you were saying, look, this home, this house, and this community is marked by the love of God. And community can be defined by geography, but not geography only. If you think your community is just the block you live on, you're mistaken. That's part of it, but your community is broader than that. Think about where you go to hang out. What stores do you frequent? What restaurants do you frequent? What coffee shop do you go to often? That is part of your community. Where where do you spend your free time? What gym do you go to? What classes are you taking? What interests do you have? That is a community. So community may be geographically like your neighborhood, obviously, but also includes hobbies, interests. Let me tell you, friends, that God has placed you there not only for your enjoyment. That's part of it. But he's placed you there for the advancement of the good news of Jesus. Think about that. When you go home today, God did not put you in that house just so you can have a fancy house in a cool neighborhood. God has placed you. That's a gift from God to you so that you could be a light to your neighborhood geographically. So that your house, your doorposts, as it were, would be marked with the good news of the Lord. So when people walk by your house, I mean, there's something different about those people. They're so loving, they're so generous, they're so kind. God's up to something, right? When you go to your running club or your kayak football thing or whatever you do, when you go to school, when you hit the coffee shop tomorrow that is not just there only for your enjoyment, oh, it's part of that. It's there for the advancement of the gospel. It's there for you to exhibit the qualities of a disciple and call along other people to follow Jesus as well because he's their only hope. He's our only hope. He's our only rescuer. You with me? Here's another random challenge. You're up for it? Of course you are. On average, we eat about 21 meals a week. That's a lot of eating. I would challenge you to say, and this is not a challenge for me, this is a challenge from another pastor who challenged me and a group of pastors to do this years ago, and I'll just throw it out there. If we eat an average of 21 meals a week, I would encourage you to commit to spending at least three of those meals with a non-Christian. That's not that bad, right? One-seventh of your feasting be with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Can you do it? Try it. Try it this week. Go get a muffin with somebody before work. Some guy that's a jerk. And you're just like, man, that guy obviously hates everyone. Buy him a muffin. See what happens. Huh? Right? On your lunch break from school, maybe sit at a table with somebody different. If you're like in high school or just there's a cafeteria, go sit with somebody different this week. Somebody who maybe doesn't know the Lord or maybe is just not happy. And go take some good news to them this week. If you're in a neighborhood... I challenge you this week to maybe take somebody, bring somebody over to dinner, invite some neighbors over to dinner who don't know the Lord, or maybe you don't even know them that well, or just offer to go grab a bite together. Just say, hey, man, let's just go up to the... There's a Zaxby's near our house. If you live near me, let's just go meet at the Zaxby's this week. Does that sound cool? Of course it does. Man, you guys are nodding with enthusiasm. I'm going to back up a little here. I would encourage you this week, if you can... Of the 21 meals you eat this week, have three of them with a non-Christian. Okay? Because discipleship is personal, discipleship is family, and discipleship is about community. Fourthly and finally, last point, discipleship is about your city and your culture. All right? It's not just about you. It's not just about your family. It's not just about your community. But it's about the city and the culture at large. 
right? Where do you work? Where do you go to school? Society in general, right? And this is one of the, the big things. I just, it wrecked my mind when I, when I heard about this. Like, I used to think, if you read the Bible in the book of Genesis, and you think, you know, God creates everything out of nothing, then there's sin, and then you kind of skip to the point of where, like, all of a sudden people are wearing fig leaves, and God, like, curses the ground and says, as you till the ground, it's going to be hard. And we usually think, like, that's why work is hard, right? I mean, that's why your plumbing busts or your refrigerator breaks and you've got to spend money on your car is because God cursed the earth and work stinks, right? Did you know that God created work before sin entered the world? Like, work is a good thing. Read your Bible today. Read Genesis 1 and 2. I mean, God created work before sin entered the world. Work is not bad. Work is your friend. Right? Work, God gave you work to do. Like He gave you skills and talents to build culture, to create stuff. Like plant a garden. That's beautiful. That reflects the creative nature of our Lord. We got tomatoes like blooming. You're just like, yeah, tomatoes. You're reflecting Jesus, man. Huh? Write a song. Paint a picture. Go to work tomorrow and enter some data of medical billing into your thing make a make a little cash right make a little cash but in so doing you're reflecting the lord i know that's hard to grasp but there's something redemptive about work because our god is a creative god and so to be a disciple means that you are going to be involved in your city and in your culture building culture renewing culture i mean i I love it when i when i find friends and fellow believers are like, hey man, I got an art show or my band just recorded an album. That is legit. That's awesome. Or when you say, hey, I'm going to start my own business. Hats off to you. That honors the Lord, man. I pray that if you start a business, I pray that you make bank. I want you to make a lot of money and I want you to do really well. But also, I want you to just reflect the creative goodness of our God in your business. When you go to school tomorrow, like if you go to school and you're like, making A's and just whatever, writing awesome papers. You were, I'm, I'm hoping that God will just pave the way for an amazing career for you. But in so doing, you were reflecting the goodness of God. Does that make sense? It's hard for me to convey that, but I'm just praying that tomorrow as you go to school or go to work, you will see that God has placed you in that environment to be a builder of the city, a builder of culture. And read the Bible and you'll see this, that God providentially places people in realms of influence for his glory. I mean, read about it. You can see Joseph. I mean, read the book of Genesis. You see God places Joseph uh, in a place of influence to save people from famine and to reflect the goodness of God, right? You see that God places Daniel in a place of influence. Nehemiah rebuilds the city with a pagan king's money. (laughs) That's jamming, right? Ruth, Queen Esther, Where has God placed you to be a builder of the city and a builder of culture? Are you building relationships? Are you aiming for excellence? Are you stewarding that opportunity to be a disciple who makes disciples? Are you leveraging it for the good news of the kingdom of Jesus? So finally, I'll say this. I know it's a lot. We've looked at like New Testament, Old Testament. Here, just go home and read your entire Bible and take non-Christians out to eat. That's your assignment, right? Because God will teach you a lot in both of those areas. I'm serious. So as we look at discipleship, back to Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go and make disciples. As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
His presence is with us always. How do you do that? You do that through very, various rhythms of your life. Personally, we see back in Deuteronomy, personal rhythms of life, uh, family rhythms of life as you go about living your life in your family, uh, community rhythms of life in the neighborhood in which you live, but also where your hobbies and relational connections are. And fourthly, in your city and culture, the work God's given you to do is a redemptive opportunity to point people to Jesus. Are you with me? That's jamming. Of course you are. When closing, I'll say this. If you were here and you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, we want to talk more with you about that. Because as as humans, we are created to follow someone and follow something and to take on the traits of who we follow. And, And where we are as broken humans is we try to find that fulfillment elsewhere. We find that fulfillment in our, sometimes our, our careers, our money, or, or other relationships that, that are good, but sometimes not the ultimate thing. So if you're not a Christian and you want, you want help knowing more about what it means to follow Jesus, come talk to me. I'd love nothing more than to tell you about the Jesus who saved me. That's awesome. Secondly, if you're here and you are a Christian, and, and particularly if you're a member here at Redemption Church, uh, may we be serious about the mission of discipleship. When we take very seriously the calling that God has called us to, our identity as being followers of Jesus, and may we take very seriously the work he's called us to do personally, in our family, in our community, and in our city and culture. Is that cool? Is that fair? Amen. Let me pray. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for this time to open your word. Uh, God, as we look broadly in the Old and New Testament, God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would connect the dots for us. God, that you would bring to our minds an understanding of your word. God, I thank you that Jesus is our healer, our rescuer, our savior. And God, I pray that you would convict our hearts of, of the, the ways we are fickle in our faith and uh, chasing things that aren't healthy. And God, I pray that you would, uh, you would renew us, renew our strength, give us clear vision, clear affection, that we would repent of sin, repent of idols, repent of false saviors. And God, that we would be reminded of our identity and security as your children. And God, that that good news would motivate us and propel us uh, to do good things, to point others to you. God, I ask that you do this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, Now we're going to have an awesome time of baptism. Here at Redemption Church, we we take very seriously the the mission of discipleship from the Great Commission. Jesus says one of the ways that you make disciples uh, is to baptize. And so um, I'd like for you just to watch this video. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's my daughter, so just watch this video.
So um, let me just tell you that God works in amazing ways, and um, we have seen some great things happen uh, in the life of our family this summer. Uh, uh, Sweet Emily has been asking some amazing questions, and uh, just over the course of conversation, we understand that the Holy Spirit's igniting uh, within her heart an understanding of what it means to belong to Jesus and, and follow him. Uh, and so now I'd like to introduce you to my daughter, Emmeline. I'm going to step in here. And so uh, she wants to um, follow Jesus' uh, command to be baptized. It's cold. Is it cold? Yes. I'm sorry. This will be fast. <laughs> And so now it's a, a great privilege for me to baptize my daughter, Emmeline, uh, into the faith. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death and raised to walk a new life. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you that the promises in Scripture that... Um, that you give us in the book of Acts, even that if we repent and be baptized, that we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I got to thank you for saving my daughter. I thank you for saving us. God, Jesus, I thank you that you are our rescuer and our healer and redeemer. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir up our hearts to obedience, uh, knowing who you are and what you've done for us and transforming us to be more like you as your people. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.